0: You're listening to the Don't You Have Headphones podcast where we speak with documentary filmmakers and practitioners about what they do and how they do it. Each month we speak to one of the filmmakers from the Don't You Have Docs short screening program and occasionally speak to other professionals about the world of documentary. You can find links to our screening program and watch this month's films on our Movie Garage channel by following the links from our homepage at www.dontyouhaveheadphones.com. I'm William Head, and this month, myself and Katie Mitchell commemorated the launch of the Don't You Have Doc screening program by having a Skype chat to US filmmaker Mark Kendall. Mark's film, The Time Machine, is a beautiful and inquiring portrait of a man who fixes watches at New York City's Grand Central Station. Hello? Hello, Mark.
1: Hey, William, how's it going?
0: Good, how are you? Pretty good. So thanks for talking to us, and thanks so much for uh, allowing us to show the time machine in our um, first "Don't You Have Docs?" program. That's gonna be that's gonna be great.
1: No worries, no worries. I'm glad you guys are interested in showing it.
0: Yeah. Um, would you mind just telling us a little more or, about the film? So the film was uh, made as part of a student film, was that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This was. Um This was the first film I made uh, in my first semester of grad school. And the idea was everyone was assigned, um, you know, we were given the idea you need to make a film about a process. The idea being that it was something that had a very natural beginning, middle, and end. And it was also supposed to be something that was repeatable. So if you shot one day and, you know didn't get enough coverage of how the action was completed, you could return the next week and, you know, get some pickup shots or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of where it started. And I, I sort of spun that assignment and wanted to do something that kind of explored some sort of visual metaphor. So I was playing around with some ideas. I wanted to do a jigsaw puzzle cutter. Uh, a couple other things crossed my mind. And um, as I was you know in pre-production trying to find us uh, a particular character and everything i went to grand central and saw this watch store and saw the building and was like wow this this there's something here i've got a this is what i want to you know i want to see what's here um so yeah that's how it started and um about halfway through we started out just shooting the process which was him disassembling one watch that was like my process and um and then about two weeks after we shot that, we were all assigned to shoot an interview um, sort of about the character's work and how it ties into their life. And then we were supposed to intercut the two of them. So that's sort of how it came to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's interesting that you say that it originally it was about process because it feels very much like a profile file piece. So in that, the initial uh, briefing that you had for the assignment, you weren't aware that it was going to be a profile piece, it was, it was about the process, and then the profile aspect got sprung on you? Is that essentially how this happened at all?
1: Well, we were aware that we were going to have to do an interview at some point in our process um, making the film. It was going to be our decision whether or not we use it as an on-camera interview or if we just use voiceover or if we shoot it and then at the end we decide, you know what, I don't like how it looked, or my character isn't that engaging on camera, maybe I'll try another way to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a surprise assignment, but like anything that happens, you know, you go out there with an idea and you don't really know what you're gonna get. So if it didn't turn out to be a great interview, I would have had to sort of find another way to try to explore the ideas I was interested in and also give credence to to my character's story and. And to the work that he does.
0: Yeah,
2: wow. kind of a very rich character and a very um, interesting person to interview.
1: Oh man, I got so lucky. I got so <laughs> lucky. I, w- I went over there the first time, and uh, the owner of the shop, you know, naturally, he sees a film student. You want to make a, sh- you want to shoot a film in their store. Oh yeah, it'll be cool. You know, I can tell you about the business, and maybe we can put it <laughs> on the website. I was like, no, you know, that's, that's cool, maybe we can do that too, but, you know, I sort of blamed it on the assignment and was like, nah, I kind of have to do this and I have to do that, and, um, yeah, so I I didn't actually get much time to spend with him before shooting the interview, I didn't know anything about him, I didn't know anything about him, and the owner of the shop just said, yeah, this is Will, He's been working here a while. He's going to do the interview with you. And uh, if you want to come back next week, you guys can set up a time. Um, and that was it. I was like, OK, this is Will, and here we go. So we started it. <laughs> we started at ground zero, really.
2: Mm. And
1: uh, I had a lot of ideas I wanted to explore and sort of bounce off of him. And he had, he had amazing things to say. I was, I was mm. blown away. I was blown away.
2: Wow.
0: So so it really, um, in this circumstance, has just come down to the, to the luck of the talent that's, that's made such a engaging uh, interview, at least.
1: Yeah, totally. And, and I know <laughs> that's probably not what we're supposed to do. Like, <laughs> I don't think it, it would have done well if I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have the freedom of being in a class and, you know, whatever. Um, ideally, you would want to get to know them beforehand and know your story and all that. But... But yeah, this was kind of just the uh, the luck of the moment, I guess mm.
2: it sounds like your intuition about the watch store in the first place, you know it really paid off. You knew there was something happening in there
1: yeah, yeah i think I think um you know it's it's funny because when it when I imagined the idea i you know I had never been to Grand Central. I didn't think that's where I would be telling the story i kind of I kind of imagined this sort of typical watchmaker, you know, someone that's kind of. Sort of an old man that like lives in a little sort of old place that doesn't get a lot of light, and he has lots of gadgets, and you know maybe he speaks with a particular accent or reads lots of books. I don't know, but I was sort of imagining things, and um, yeah. this the way it turned out was just totally different. But when I walked into Grand Central and and sort of saw. The space, I guess, and what that sort of how that commented on the idea I wanted to explore with my character and his work. It was like, oh shit, how could I not do it here? Like this is Uh. this place is amazing.
0: And and the the reference to time that you've got going on there throughout the architecture of the building and the and the space and the movement of people through there. It's sort of it's it's like it's made for it.
1: Oh, well, cool, cool.
0: And um, it it looks fantastic. What what was it shot on?
1: Um thanks. It was the cameras we have here at school are the Sony EX1s. Oh, yeah.
0: Um
1: so it was on that. And then I I think the version I ended up sending you, I did a little bit of color correction. Um after it came in. I just used Magic Bullet Looks. Mm-hmm. Um so I tweaked it a little bit. Some one of the presets. Um but, yeah, it was on the EX-1.
0: Right. And because how did you, with with those cameras, we're approaching style in in, in different manner. Like, um, what I mean by that, watching the film, I get the sense that there's th- almost three different styles going on. So we have the sort of talking head interview, and then we have all this observational stuff, and then we have all the sort of montage cutaway elements to the film, which all seem to have a very different kind of look to them. Can you tell me about how mm. you approach those elements?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, they do have different looks, and and it's 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 funny, I guess, because again, it's something that I didn't begin with, like a a list of things that was like, okay, it's going to look like this, and it's going to be composed of this, and it's going to be about this guy, and this is you know. Um, it was kind of something where I just felt like there was a story there. I felt like there was something I wanted to express in that story. And I, I just, I mean, I would, go, I would go day after day and just shoot in Grand Central, just trying to find something that clicked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like that guy, like the bald guy that sort mm-hmm. of comes at a very climactic moment when he's talking about everyone sort of needs to be alone. And sometimes it's too much to be in the midst of all the, the rush of the New York City minute, um, that guy I found totally randomly the morning I was supposed to shoot the interview. And um, I walked into Grand Central a little bit early because I, I didn't have a location lined up where we were going we to do this thing. So I was sort of frantically running around. I saw this guy on the floor and was like, oh my god, this is like a perfect representation of, of you know the stillness that is absent in a place like this. Um, so I, you know, that was kind of the way in which it's, it unfolded and, and looking back on it in the editing process, um, as far as, as creating a look to sort of represent those different things, it was kind of a mix of things. I mean, the, the way I ended up coloring the interview was sort of a, um, uh, sort of a tilt shift kind of effect where only his face is in f- in focus and the window is sort of blurry. It's got like a cool look. I thought that looked the best uh, just for that scenario because I I guess I I guess I was trying to imitate as if I had like a lens adapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so his face is in focus. The background is kind of blurry. Um, the other ones, I felt like I wanted to make them more crisp and clean and mechanical and precise, because that's kind of the way that both his work and his place of employment kind of function. They're designed to function that way. Um, so I really didn't want them to look soft or, or um, you know, with a lot of diffusion. I wanted to be very crisp and precise and sort of pop a little bit. Mm-hmm. And have the feeling as though they're they're instruments of work, like they're industrial in some way. Um, I guess I've never actually I've never actually articulated that idea before, but I guess that was
2: <laughs> some
1: stuff that must have been behind
0: it. Yeah, it sounds um, convincing. It sounds like it's been thought through, and it certainly comes across in that manner.
2: Mm.
0: Cool, cool.
2: Sounds like for that um, for that story in Finding Wilfredo, it was sort of a a combination of intuition and possibly a little bit of luck as well. How do you normally go about finding your stories uh, for the documentaries that you make?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> that seems to be... That seems to be just kind of how, how I do it. I, I try to rely a lot on intuition because I think that's what you're going to end up needing in the end to get yourself through mm-hmm. it because it can be a long process, you know. Uh, <laughs> And if you don't really love it, or if you don't really feel like deep deep down somewhere there's something you're really going after, it's it's got to be hard to sustain sometimes. Mm. Um, As far as how I find stories, I don't know. I mean, the film I'm working on now is about the afterlife of one American school bus. Um, A lot of the. Buses here in the States usually have a shelf life of about 10 to 15 years, depending on what state they drive in. And after that time, uh, they're often sold off in auctions. And most people here don't really know where they go. Um, But it turns out a lot of them go to Central America. And there's a huge community of immigrants that come up from countries like Guatemala, Mexico, Honduras, Nicaragua. To buy our old buses, drive them wow. all the way home, and then transform them into their own things and use them as to compensate for the lack of public transportation. So they get a new engine, a new paint job, they get decorated with images of their patron saints to keep them safe on the road.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I mean really the only way, the only real research I did for that to find that story was I was just traveling through Guatemala about two years ago. And I was riding on these buses, and I was like, "These are old school buses. Like, how did this? How did this get here? Who? What is this about? I would love yeah. to know what's behind that. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and the real obstacle at that point was just, okay, well, that would be cool, but how the hell am I going to find someone uh, that's involved in this world? So yeah. I just started searching on Craigslist. I started looking for auctions on the internet, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I found a spot in Pittsburgh, made a trip out there in April towards the end of our second semester. It was kind of you know, game time. You either have an idea or you got to do something else. Mm. And, um, and yeah, that's sort, of, that's sort of where it started. So it was really a seed of, I guess, ins- inspiration or curiosity or something mm. that was planted two years before. I never thought I was going to make the film. It was just like, oh, cool. That would be so cool to like, learn more about. Yeah. and then i found myself at school and was like you know what maybe i could do something about the bus thing like what if i tried to follow one bus from its from its death to its yeah. rebirth and tell the stories mm. of the people who care for it along the way like that would be a cool idea so that sort of came about in the same mix the same mix of ways and and when i got on the mm. bus and began filming i didn't know i met the guy the day that we left, I met him and within four hours we were on the bus heading to the border in Mexico. And we got there. I ended up spending two months following the bus. Um, and, and you know it got resold to someone else. And it was like this weird relay race where I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know who was going to buy it. I didn't know what bus route it was going to end up in or if it was going to get painted or not but I just sort of made this commitment to the idea, I made the commitment to the concept, and I tried to stay true to the intuition that had brought me there, and just sort of remain open to the people I meet along the way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's to be determined if it's a c- success or not. Right now I'm in the midst of watching all the footage and, and going through <laughs> it, it's not a completed project, but whether it's my- that sounds fascinating. Advantage or disadvantage, that seems to be the way I do it is it's a mix of intuition mm. and sometimes just jumping.
2: Mm. And I guess just sustaining that sense of curiosity and keeping your eyes and your ears open for stories, you know, and being yeah. aware that they're out there and smelling them out, basically.
1: For sure. For sure. Mm. It's hard. It's hard to find unique stories, I feel like, these days because there's so many documentaries out there and there's so many interesting things in the world, you know? Um, so it's hard I mean I try to read the newspaper a lot and I try to talk to people uh, you know throughout the day just sort of maintain a general sense of curiosity about the world but um, I don't know I, I don't know
0: In terms of that process do you, do you go with uh, like in, in that example is it just you with a camera and off you go or do you like to work with a crew or how do you, how do, you, want, how do, you do it
1: well, that's kind of something I'm I'm sort of figuring out and developing my comfort level over time. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of filmmaking experience before starting grad school. And I think I was really protective when I first got here of my ideas. And, you know, it was kind of... I wanted to learn how to do it myself, you know what I mean? Um, and so I was a little protective. With, with The Time Machine, I did everything. I shot, I... I edited, I directed, I produced. It was like a one-man band kind of thing. It was like I was on a mission, and I went to Grand Central three times a week and was just like, "I'm going to do this," you know. Um, I, tr- I started out doing it that way on the bus film. Um, I was lucky enough to have a friend of mine come along with me and help with with sound and keep me sane and help, you know, with with general production things. Um, but it was kind of the same kind of thing. I feel like I was I was really sort of in my head a lot, um, and I actually returned uh, the second time in December and teamed up with a producer down there, and that went a lot more smoothly. Mm-hmm. I think that you know filmmaking is a. I always hear people say it's a collaborative medium, and and we collaborate with each other here at school, um, and I think. That's the direction I want to go. Um, that's the direction I want to go. The time machine was not made that way, with the exception of uh, you know working with a composer to do the the music. Um, but this film is becoming much more of that, and I think it I think it's becoming richer because of it. Uh, as a foreigner trying to make a film about, it turns out the bus story is is much deeper than just about colorful rebirth. I mean. Bus drivers in Guatemala are the center of a spree of assassinations that have been plaguing the country the last five or six years. um, There's a whole ring of extortionists that target bus drivers because they carry cash. So they owe, every day they have to pay, well, it depends where you are in what city and for what company and which gang sort of operates in that area. But the bus that I followed, the owner has to pay um, somewhere in the range of thirty to thirty-five dollars a day, just to the gang, mm-hmm. and that's on top of gasoline, repairs. These buses are old, so they need maintenance. They have to pay for the driver, uh, you know, and um, yeah. So there's this whole there's this whole world. I mean, there's there's four thousand buses and bus drivers in Guatemala, and since two thousand six, over five hundred of them have been killed on the job. So I, I didn't know that, really. I didn't know the extent of it when I began. I knew that there was some issues, but that was something where, as I began including that in part of the story, I really had to reach out and be like, how can I collaborate with people here that that live this so that I don't just have a foreigner's perspective and there's not things I'm overlooking? And, you know, and and so... Over that time, I sort of realized just how many things out there I really didn't know or didn't understand. Or, um, you know, and and that curiosity just kept going. I would, you know, I teamed up with this producer and asked a lot of questions and we developed ideas together and tried to stay true to the idea and the concept while also exploring the reality of the story and, and getting as many perspectives and points of view as possible. Um, I'm hoping to include, I don't know if it's bad karma to say this or not because it's not yet done, but I'm trying to include the perspectives of the gang members as well as the law enforcement, as well as the bus drivers, as well as the people who ride on the buses. And It's kind of a film about traveling. So if, if, the, if the Time Machine is a film about time, this is a film that's more about journeys. Journeys from death to life, from life to death. Uh, from one place to another, from one moment in your life to another moment in your life. And just what the bus sort of symbolizes as a place where everyone comes together. It's like the great social equalizer. And even if you're only on the bus together for a short time, you share that experience. And that's sort of the metaphor that I'm trying to use. The bus as a bridge to sort of tell a story of the Americas. and, and the immigrant experience because the bus really provides an opportunity for this community of immigrants to make something more for themselves economically and supplement the living that they that they make as as farmers in the in the countryside.
2: Wow. Sounds like it's going to be a very rich documentary. So many layers to it.
1: I hope so. It's a monster to edit. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so I hope I hope I'm happy. <laughs> I hope I'm happy. It's fun. Uh... <laughs> But right now, it's hard to see outside of just the day-to-day, like, slaving through the footage and, and going through it. I'm, I'm staying excited, but it's, uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Mm.
0: Well, that's actually a nice segue into the next question, really, actually, which is
1: mm.
0: what we wanted to know, um, you know, when you doubt yourself, uh, and you inevitably do through this sort of long, arduous process, like how, do you, how do you deal with, with the doubt of, of being a filmmaker?
1: Oh, man. Oh man, good friends. <laughs> good friends. Mm. Um, and trying to, trying, to, trying to keep yourself real too, you know? Like, uh, I don't know, sometimes if you reach for something that you feel, it's always good, I think. It's always good to reach for something that's just a little outside your reach.
0: Because
1: mm. uh, it makes you stretch. And use muscles you all you weren't always aware that you had, um, but if you, but you need to know that you're doing that. You know you need to be real with yourself about like, uh, you know is this is this ridiculous? Like what the hell am I doing? I, I expect someone <laughs> to let me ride on a fucking bus with them, after just meeting me today. Like is that realistic? I was having a lot of trouble when I was in Pittsburgh. I was having a lot of trouble finding. Uh, a character, um, I thought I had one person. They ended up not buying a bus. I found another guy. He was going to come back uh, and pick up his buses two weeks later. So I was waiting in the hotel. I, I, I was spending money, like, you know, with a hotel and a rental car, just sort of waiting for him to come back. And I was really having doubts. Like, dude, what if this doesn't work? What are you going to do? Um, so during that time, I mean, Part of what I tried to do was was continue to move forward in other ways, so uh, you know, plan ahead for uh, other kinds of things I could shoot down there, shoot more kinds of things around the auction. Um, started part of it is probably just blind stubbornness, like pretending that I'm not having difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's definitely part of it, and and part of it too was like you know having real moments of of doubt where I would call some of my professors and some of my friends and be like, look, I really, really want to ride the bus down. Uh, I don't want to just, like, fly down and find a bus somewhere. That's That'll change the idea drastically. But but the reality is I don't know if this guy's going to come back for the bus. Um, so I think it, more than anything, it was just about, like, how do I get through it? I guess I guess just sharing. Just sharing. Just being real about what you want and whether or not you're actually close to achieving that or, or if you're a little crazy or or if if maybe if someone else has a better way of getting from A to B or has an idea you hadn't thought of or even if they can just lift your spirits or maintain the confidence that, no, no, stick it out. If you stay another week, you'll find something there. Um, Because so much of it, I feel like, is about momentum. And it's inevitable that you're going to have doubts. It's inevitable that there's going to be times when you hate your project. Or you know, it it always happens. It's still happening. Um, And I feel like I've come so far already, and it's still happening. So I don't know. I think it's, <laughs> that's a really long answer. I guess the short answer, it's a part, it's a mix of like pretending you're not having a problem and, and distracting yourself with other things that make you happy and fulfilled. And, and also not lose, not losing sight of what, what's taken you there or what, what got you started in this. And, and sometimes that helps to just get over it and be like, no, you know what, there's something there and you haven't done it yet. So keep, keep at it. Cause, cause you've gone this far and, you can't turn back kind of a thing. Keep being curious. Which, yeah, keep being curious. Yeah.
2: Mm. And I think sure. that sense of commitment to the project, which you mentioned earlier, sort of comes through at that point. You know, you know you've know, you committed to something that you really feel passionately about and want to follow through, and perhaps when you want to give it up or you have doubts about it, that's when that really needs to kick in.
1: Yeah, that's, mm. that's totally true. Yeah, I guess that's inevitable. There's sort of like a threshold of... Uh, you know, how much kicking around you can take, how much kicking around you'll let happen to your idea until it really motivates you to do something to stick up for it or to Mm. to move forwards. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's going to be problems, whether it's with the budget or the production or the crew or yourself or uh, whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's really those situations that like really test, like, is this really something you want to do? Or you know, is this not worth it? Like, because it's a big it's a big commitment to to start something like that, and you end up on the other side having spent a shit ton of money and uh, <laughs> a lot of time, and and you kind of I mean at least right now I sort of feel like I'm living on a prayer. I'm like really hopeful that this will that this will uh, turn into something in the end, and I'm just trying to keep my blinders on, even though that's kind of counterintuitive for a documentary filmmaker. Uh, I'm trying to keep my blinders on and, uh, and just stay focused right now.
2: Mm. Is there any advice that anyone's given you that's stayed with you or kind of that you fall back on when things get a little bit difficult or you're looking for a bit of direction? Hmm.
1: That's a good question. There's nothing that comes to mind. I could probably think of some things, but Mm. there's nothing immediate that comes to mind.
0: That's okay. I think we probably should um, uh, start to wind this up. But um, I just did have one final thing that I wanted to know. Uh, In in your mind, Mark, when, when is a film finished?
1: Oh, man. That is a good question. I think it probably that's probably something that depends on the project. Um, I mean, in my personal experience, I would hope that it's not because you run out of money or it's not because it's the best you can do in a particular time that you have or it's not because um, that's all I've got and I need to move on to the next one. I would hope that's not when it ends. Uh, I would hope that it's a combination of investing your time, investing yourself, Investing in the lives of other people and giving yourself the patience to sort of let those things come through in a way that resonate with you and also reflect the reality of of what you experience during your time making it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard because sometimes what you imagine when you start is radically different than where you end up when you're done. So it's hard to recognize yourself in the mirror at the end of that trip and be like, is this is this what it is or is is this where I? Is this what I was? Is this what I was going for? Um, but I think you have to be open to that because you're. It's not really a medium where you can control what happens or what people do or what people say. Um, I think in the end, if it if it becomes an expression, if it's simultaneously an expression of your vision, and you've adequately told the story that you set out to tell then I think as the storyteller you feel satisfied in, in going to bed at night and saying, you know, I think I can, I think I can wrap this up and, and sort of put this out into the world. Um,
0: okay. All right. Well, that's, that's great. Um, I think I'm done here. Katie, you, you got anything else you want to ask? Or...
2: No, I guess it is about time to wind up, but it's been really great chatting with you, Mark. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thanks for right. thanks for calling. It was good talking with you guys.
0: we'll let you know how the You've been listening to the Don't You Have Headphones podcast. We were speaking with director Mark Kendall about his short film The Time Machine. You can watch Mark's film and many others by following the links to our Movie Garage channel via our website at www.dontyouhaveheadphones.com. Till next time.
2: Thanks for listening.